With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, it is a federal holiday. It's Columbus Day, or as all the woke people call it, Indigenous People's Day, which is nuts. I mean, what, what is the problem here, folks? Uh, but it's a federal holiday. You wouldn't know it, though, because Congress, well, at least the House isn't here. None of them are here, but they wouldn't be anyway because they don't have a speaker, so they got sent home. Yeah, that's right. They got sent home because nothing's going to happen there either. They are going to come back on Wednesday and then st- or Tuesday and start the process. Meaning the best case scenario is we'll have a speaker on Wednesday, which is what, 36 days till another government shutdown? Congratulations on blowing eight days. Um, this is not, I mean, this is welcome to Washington. This is crazy how this all works. Um, but we had two great conversations that I want to share with you. The first one with Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know her, firebrand from Georgia. She is no wallflower. What is motivating her? Where does she think all this goes? Uh, I'm excited about that. And then we're going to sit down uh, with, um, Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina. I've said this before. She was the one of the eight that voted against Matt Gates that I did not see coming. I just didn't see that thing happening. By the way, I'll talk about this at the end of the show, but later this week, Anna Paulina Luna, Congresswoman from Florida, another no wallflower type. She will be with us to share her thoughts. And then the amazing Bill Riley. Bill O'Reilly is going to be here. So big week uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, for what, 36 days we'll have left for a shutdown if they can get a speaker on Wednesday. And uh, and then, you know, everything else that's happening. It's unbelievable. So I want to start this conversation real quick with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She had a lot to say. Uh, and I was intrigued by some of the things that she thinks need to happen in terms of our political discourse. Take a look. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. I'm excited to be joined now by Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Congresswoman, thanks for coming into the, uh, to the studio with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> I have a list. I don't even know where to start today. Like, let's just start with what's going on. Why are we here? Why? I mean, not... But, but why are we at a place where we finally get the majority? We're finally talking about going back to regular order, i.e. doing single issue appropriations bills. We've got impeachment. We're, we're, we're winning. I, and, and the polls show that Republicans are trusted on the economy 41% more than Democrats for the first time since 1991. Joe Biden can't make it down a flight of stairs. And yet we're the ones in chaos. That's right. And you just laid it out so well. We're winning on every single issue. But the reason why we're here 
is we are in a perpetual calendar that causes us to fail. It's, what do you mean by that? What, so for someone listening, what does that mean? So it's systemic failure. Um, I come from a construction background. Okay. And we have deadlines on oh, our projects. <laughs> yeah. How about that? And so if we have a September 30th deadline to have a building finished, we would never go home all of August and half of September. We would definitely be there working as hard as possible, especially in August and September to make sure that we reach our, our September 30th deadline. But the calendar, the annual calendar for Congress, and it doesn't matter which party is in charge, sets us up for failure. But let me play this out. You're, you're in a construction if the deadline is, let's just say September 30th, same deadline, mm -hmm. you would start to back up your supplies. You would back up, uh, you know, all the, whatever, the, the help that you needed, et cetera, the permitting. That's right. And you say, okay, we know this. Congress's debt, I mean, the fiscal year ends September 30th and, and you've got the August break that people go back home and mm -hmm. hang out with their constituents and their family. Well, I, that's, I get it. But there were 12 bills that weren't done. You wouldn't have, to your point, said, all right, guys, We'll leave the job site and we'll come back and we'll think that somehow we're going to get this house built or this building built in five days. Where were the members, I guess, saying, okay, there's still 12 bills. Let's get it done. I was saying that. Okay. I was upset about going home. I said, we should not be leaving Washington right now. So here's, here's the calendar I'm proposing. Number one, why do we go home in August? Our kids are back in school. Any, any <laughs> member that has children, uh, K through 12 or college age, kids are going back to school in August. If we're going to go home in any month, it should be the month of July. We really do need time with our families sure. and our families deserve well, it's it. It's also, I think, look, my personal opinion is the less time you're in Washington, the better. You can yeah. screw stuff up. Number two, I think being around constituents and hearing about mm -hmm. construction companies and other places that are saying this is the challenges that we're having with the government is a good thing. Of course. So I, and I think it makes sense. Go back in July when your families are there, when you can get together with constituents. But so let's, let's dial back to where, how we got here. There was a bill on the floor that would have cut spending by 8%. It would have mm -hmm. funded the border. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've been in and out of campaigns in the Hill. I mean, that to me sounds like music to my ears as a conservative. Yep. What was the problem? The problem is, is it was set up to fail. What it, do you mean by that? Again, it was, uh, we don't, 45 days is not even long enough, a CR. So we're already in failure. Okay. Everyone needs to recognize But when there was that, that vote the other night, McCarthy puts a bill on the floor that mm -hmm. says, fine, we'll do 45 days, 8% cut, uh, border security money, no money for Ukraine, mm -hmm. and then we'll send it to the Senate and jam them. There were five or six, no, probably 10 Republicans mm -hmm. that didn't vote for it. What, what was the reason? So I voted no on that, and here's why. Okay. I thought it was a great bill. I thought it was a smart move. I voted no because it was going to fail anyways. And they knew I get so they knew ahead the whip count. They knew that there were enough Republicans okay. who were not going to vote for it. It was set for failure. My argument was, is I'm, I'm done with failure. We need a plan that works. So we have to get in the room. I don't care if it lasts all day long, all night long, shove food under the door to us. We need to get to work and make our conference get to an agreement and then move is forward with it. Yes. It is. So the people yes. who are on the outside, those five or six folks, Matt Gates, Bob Good, uh, Matt Rosendale, they could get to yes. Let me tell you, we already did it last week on the defense bill. Great bill. Gives a pay increase to the troops. Takes out all the woke garbage. It is the best defense bill that anybody has seen in decades. Took the Ukraine money out. That was right. a personal victory of mine. You know, want to know something? That would not have happened if Kevin McCarthy did not listen to me. 
Right. And that's an important but that's, thing. But so, so let's go down this path now, because I want to get to Ukraine in a second. I know that's been a passion project of yours. The bill f- fails, and then McCarthy puts forward a straight-up 45 days continuing resolution, says, mm-hmm. hey, we'll keep funding government. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate, of course, says, great, no Ukraine funny, but a little disaster money. Why was that? What did you think of that? The the CR that went, the 45-day yeah, CR. Yep. I, I did not want to keep Nancy Pelosi's policies going. And, and so, to be honest with you, we have eight more appropriation bills to get done. However, we have funded 70% of the budget. So we're at this odd place of we've had a lot of victories and the victories happen when we work together, like okay. the defense bill, like like Homeland. We got that passed last week, like Milcon. I mean, these bills that have passed, we worked together and we nailed it out, got it to the floor and passed it. But however, how are we going to move forward and get the rest of it done with a motion to vacate, right. with constant fighting, I keep telling everyone, it's like, it's like but you're no wallflower. Like <laughs> there is no one in the world that says, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's a, she's a, she's a compromised person. Like you fight. Yep. Okay. So why, when you talk to these other folks, what is their angle? Like what, what is, why, what, you, you seem to be coming at this in a much more pra- pragmatic way. Here's how we can get conservative policies passed mm-hmm. and win. Why is there a disconnect with a handful of members then? I'll tell you why. So I agree with Matt Gates. There needs to be change in Washington. Like what? All of us want. Well, for one, we got to change the calendar so Congress doesn't fail every but year. But is anyone against that? Some people seem to be against it. Yeah. Some people seem unwilling to to actually put it into practice. But it has to happen. Sure. Otherwise, we're going to fail. We're going to do. We're going to do CR and a Christmas omnibus that's a lump of coal for the American people every single year. It's disgusting. What we have to do to change the way that we're working is what we have already been doing. We went to regular order. We made an agreement to do 12 separate appropriation bills. We need members to commit to it and finish the drill. This is a game of inches. You're not going to win the football game with a Hail Mary pass. We aren't in those kind of circumstances. This is a situation where you have to have patience. You have to have grit. You have to keep working and not give up on the fight when we're in the worst storm of our life. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you mentioned McCarthy listens to you. When you say what you just said, I think that makes sense. Does he think that makes sense? Yes, he thinks okay. it makes sense. And so I, I've been describing it like this, and I've said this to some of my conservative colleagues, who, by the way, we all have the same voting record. So I share the same conservative values with them. Right. However, they see things a little differently. I was one of the people that was very upset, and this is before I became a member of Congress. I didn't like Speaker Paul Ryan. I didn't. He didn't, he didn't pursue Trump's agenda. We didn't fund a wall and build it. They didn't repeal Obamacare. As a business owner, as a regular citizen, I was upset about those things. But the Freedom Caucus gave us Paul Ryan when they vacated Boehner. That's, that was the result because they had no plan. But you see, that's interesting. You just put your finger on something that I think is fascinating. They go after Boehner 
And then we get into this. I mean, McCarthy initially was supposed to be the guy that replaces him. He gets caught up in it. Then, then they have to find this compromise candidate. Paul Ryan says no. Yeah. He was chairing the Ways and Means Committee. He says, I, I'm not doing this, and blah, blah, blah. And then finally he agrees. He actually got them to give him concessions and says, I'm only going to do this if you guys mm-hmm. agree that we're not going to have a food fight every day. And they said, yes. So let's get back to Kevin McCarthy. There's a motion to vacate. Where, where do you think this thing ends up? Well, we had a conference meeting this morning and the question was asked, is anyone else planning or preparing to run for speaker? Not one person raised their hands. The question was asked to Matt Gates and the others is, do you have someone to bring up for speaker? They all said no. So, so here's the issue. I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person. I'm a rational person, but I am a fighter and I will not fight for something that has no path to success. And I will not fight for something when there is no plan and there is no plan. Even though I love those guys, I'm friends with them and we share the same voting record. We need a plan of success for the people. Here's why. It's not about us, Sean. We are hired by the American people. The American people are so sick and tired of the drama in Washington. They care about four things. They care about their kids. They care about their bank accounts. They care about their jobs. That gives them money. And they care about their weekends. That's where all their passions and their hobbies lie. And I don't blame them, rightfully so. But here's the problem. When we just get mad at each other up here in Washington and and just want to strike a match and light a fire, you want to know something? It may give us political points. It might help our fundraising. It may look good to the internet uh, uh, pitchfork and tiki torch mob that's always trying to burn it down. But you know what it does? It puts the American people last every damn time. So the thing that's interesting about that, what concerns me, uh, and I've said the same thing about impeachment. Mm-hmm. Let's go, but let's do it smart. Yeah. Because you and your majority are the only thing standing between us and Biden having total control of government. That's right. And if it's not for the House, A, we wouldn't be investigating and we wouldn't know half of the things about not just the Biden family, but so much of what's happening in the government. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be stopping a lot of these policies. And so when you have a four seat majority, my point is exactly what you're saying, which is, if you don't have a strategy to win, right? Right. I, I was reading a, a reminded of a Sun Tzu quote the other day, and I'll butcher it again. But s- tactics without a strategy is the noise before defeat. Mm-hmm. If there isn't a plan, I mean, and we're, we're sitting down before this final vote just to be straight up with the audience here because mm-hmm. you guys have a busy day and I appreciate the mm-hmm. time that you could. But, but if McCarthy, the math problem that I see on this is there are about five people, Gates and, and four others, that say that we're pretty much done with McCarthy. There's a four-seat majority if everybody's present. So he the, the motion in theory passes, but then there's nothing to get back to 218 to a speaker, to your point. And mm-hmm. what, what happens then? What happens if there's, if, he is, if there's a motion to vacate, it passes, and then we go without a speaker? Everything stops. No bills, stop. Bi- no bills get passed. Um, none of our funding, none of our appropriation bills can get passed. The House goes to complete, uh, absolute uh, halting everything, stops. The impeachment inquiry stops, which is unbelievable to me. We have the most corrupt president in history. We have so much evidence on the Oversight Committee. We are screaming, trying to get past the media to the American people to see the evidence we have. We have subpoenaed Hunter Biden 
and Jim Biden's bank records. And we are going to subpoena them next after we look at their bank records and we think we know what we're looking for. All of that stops. It all stops until we elect another speaker that requires us to get to 218. And we don't even have all of our members here. Some folks on the right are saying that Gates would be teaming up with Democrats. He's accusing McCarthy of teaming up with Democrats to get that short-term CR passed, Mm -hmm. right? But then Republicans are now, some Republicans are saying, well, Gates is teaming up with Democrats to put our majority on the line because he would need Democratic votes. Is that a fair analysis? Yeah, it's the truth. The truth is. So if Kevin gets saved by Democrats, Gates' statement is that he's the Democrat speaker. That's, that's not true. And I actually, Kevin McCarthy, to my knowledge, and this is just as far yeah. as I know, has not worked with the Democrats. No, but, but he's saying, hey, look, if the Democrat, in order, because he doesn't have, if he loses five Republicans right. and five Democrats vote to, to mm-hmm. save him, to table it, whatever, then he's bought by Democrats. Well, there's a math problem there. How many Democrats does it take to vacate the speaker? Right. It takes all of them. I think they have 212. And then, so that's all the Democrats voting with a handful of Republicans to vacate the speaker. But yet, if a handful, a tiny handful of Democrats vote with like 200 and say 210 or so Republicans, the math shows the answer to that. So this was, I I at least, I was reading a great thread. You put out a thing on Twitter, now X, whatever, kind of laying out a very pragmatic case about what's happening. The thing that I thought was fascinating was it, it it seemingly is personal to you. People stripped you and 11 Republicans joined with Democrats. That's right. So I think you have a very different and unique perspective on who's teaming up with whom. It's funny because do you have any animus towards the the Republicans that voted with Democrats? No, I don't. I'm not that kind of person. But now do you say to them, do you see what it, I mean, like, I I guess the thing is, is that this is a team sport. Is it almost like when you put out that last night, I thought, wow, this is really big of her. Mm -hmm. She's sitting down saying, hey, I know what it's like to do this, guys. Let's get our act together. Yes. I do know what it's like to go through and it's painful. Right. But it also has consequences. Those 11, those 11 Republicans that voted against me, they got torn up by their districts. (laughs) They got torn up by the country and they've all apologized to me multiple times. Um, The 10 Republicans that voted to impeach President Trump, eight of them did not return to Congress. There's consequences to this and and it's ugly. Um, And, and here's, here's my issue. People need to stop making this about personalities. You know, I'm probably President Trump's biggest supporter here in Washington. I, and I gladly and proudly will wear that label. But there's people that hate his guts, but love his policies. Right. We need to put the personalities done. There's people that hate Kevin McCarthy because they've been told to hate Kevin McCarthy, but, they, but they've never met Kevin McCarthy and don't know him at all. It's like, put the personalities down and realize this is not a popularity contest. This is not high school. This is a business and we need to work together like it's a business. That means when you show up to work, you shake hands, you do your job. It's not about who you like or who you hang out with or whatever your best friend is. Enough of that garbage. It's not about how many clicks and likes you get on social media. Enough of that. It's about doing the job that we're sent here to do. And that takes serious people doing it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No when I read stuff on, on Twitter, when Gates puts out a stuff that him, McCarthy and him went back and forth, McCarthy said, bring it on, Gates, whatever. It was a lot of, it was a lot of personal. And it was a lot of, you know, McCarthy saying that, that Gates takes this, you know, personal because of an ethics committee investigation. I, I, I just, and to, you, to your point, I get you've sort of over, you know, gotten over the 11 folks. Isn't there a bit of personality? I mean, that's just the reality of this. Yeah, it is a reality, but you can go past it. I know we can go past it. And that's that's the Republican Party I am trying so hard to make. Yeah. Is we have to move past this. Let's get in a room. Yeah, we can have an argument. But you know what? We can also come to an agreement. And if we can't fully agree, we can agree that we disagree, but we can also treat each other respectfully. Okay. And that's what this country needs, Sean. That's but you think, so, so let me ask it. this, because I, I, believe me, I, <laughs> I, I know what it's like to have people because of who you work for or the policies that you defended. W- w- where's that line? Like there's days in which I get angry and just say, you know what? Here, you know, to your point, look at the policies, look what they've done, look what they've done. Uh, you know, President Trump will go after somebody and they'll say, but, you know, is that the right thing to do? And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, personally, I think he could do it, dial that back a little and make it a because you can't find a single person that can articulate anything wrong with the policies. We're a stronger nation, mm-hmm. more people at work. We didn't have the foreign policy con- concerns. I mean, Joe Biden's supposed to be the adult in the room who was the chair of the foreign policy uh, committee in the Senate. We've got a problem with Iran with Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. with China, with North Korea. It's all gotten worse under That's Joe right. Biden. And yet people are willing to overlook all of that. And frankly, the cognitive questions about Biden because of a personality issue. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I find funny sometimes is that's the one thing you can fix, right? I mean, like all the policy stuffs are hopefully core issues, but there are a lot of Republicans that say, screw it, fight. Show me that you're willing to take mm-hmm. these guys on and punch them in the face. And then there's a lot of folks that I also hear from that said, take it down a notch. So how do we find that balance? Well, I look at it like this. We can't fix anything until we have the White House. And that's the flat out truth. The White House controls the Department sure. of Justice, controls Homeland. Those We can take those two issues right there. And those are big ones. So we are like a ship in a storm right now. We control one third of the federal but, government. But let's go back to what what... Sure. And I think we'll win every day on the border. There's no one. I mean, you have Democratic mayors and governors now that are saying uncle when it comes to the Biden administration Mm -hmm. policies because the fentanyl, the human trafficking, uh, just the impact that immigration is having on this thing. So we win on the policy. Mm -hmm. I get and no one can deny that. But where I think we lose sometimes is the personality. We shouldn't, though, because we we shouldn't. That that should never be the issue. Right. Because people got to remember. I mean, I have to remember it and everyone else has to remember. People care about four things. Their kids, their bank accounts, their jobs, and their weekends. And you got who, whatever candidate is running for office, I can tell you right now, President Trump is going to be the one that takes care of your four things the best and the most. But we're in a situation right now where we only have one third control Republicans right. do, and we're driving a ship in the storm. But that we and should we, be crushing it. We should. We be. should be crushing it. You have a guy who, every time you turn on the TV, has a hard time getting downstairs, who can't get through a sentence. Uh, policies, interest rates are through the roof. I mean, everything. And yet we should be killing it. And the number one thing I hear 
is all image personality messaging. Well, I, so that ship in the storm, if we drive it too hard into the wind, the rudder is going to break and the sails are going to rip off. And I say that to people that are rooting for someone's head on a platter because that's not the way we're going to get there. If you wreck the ship before you get to your destination, we can't win. This election, 2024, is about taking back the White House. Yes. 100%. And we have to do that with President Trump. And anyone that's against his personality needs to get over it. Right. Because here's the, here's the thing, Sean. Anybody, any candidate running for office needs to realize President Trump turns out voters and he will drag all the Republicans across the line with him. I, I, the polls have shown that this argument that he can't win is completely ridiculous. Yep. I mean, he, so I think they've, they're starting to figure out how that. I do want to talk about a couple other things because I know your time is tight. Real quick, your colleague on the Democratic side from New York, Jamal Bowman, pulled a fire alarm. <laughs> okay, first he said that he doesn't know what a fire alarm is, which I got to worry about the students that were at the school that he was principal of. Right. Uh, he also said, by the way, didn't get a lot of attention. I've done this a lot of times and it's worked. So I do wonder about the fire alarms. But then the third thing last night is that he... he had a messaging document that was going out, that did go out, that talked about Nazi Republicans. Right. He's now blamed that on his staff. Mm -hmm. I I find it ironic that if this had been you or me or anyone else, NBC and everyone else would have been asking for apologies or whatever. And yet Jamal Jamal Bowman is getting a complete pass by his colleagues and by the media. He's not going to get a pass with me. You know, I went to New York and supported President Trump when he had to go up there and be processed. Jamal Bowman ended up outside of my car with the mob screaming at me, shouting at me, physically out of control, voice out of control. This is a liar. He's a big liar. And he lied about the fire alarm. He did it on purpose. I'm in Cannon Building. I know that door that he went to. He knows better. Emergency exit only press to get through. You don't pull a fire alarm. But there's there's a timeline there. People need to pay attention to the timeline. I'm in my office in Cannon. My staff and I were watching and Catherine Clark, the Democrat whip, makes a motion to adjourn, which if that passes, it closes Congress for the right. whole day. She makes the motion to adjourn. I think it was within five minutes after that fire alarm gets pulled by by Jamal Bowman. So they were stalling. They right. were doing everything they could to stall for the vote. That was intentional. He cannot. And then then he went and ran back the other way. He went and voted an hour later because Congress was stopped and delayed <laughs> by the fire alarm, just like the January 6th defendants did on January 6th. They stopped our congressional uh, vote electoral count. And Jamal Bowman never told anyone, hey, guys, sorry about that. I pulled the fire alarm. My bad. I thought it would open the door. Never told anybody until the Capitol yeah, Police, Police came. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, uh, another big subject. We talked about what's going on up there. You've been very outspoken on Ukraine. This bill that passed stripped all of Ukraine funding on it. The thing that was fascinating yesterday, the Biden administration has sold us on how important it is that we fund Ukraine, how important it is for as a check on China, because if Russia gets Ukraine, then China's going to go after Taiwan. That obviously has massive implications on shipping, on national security, whatever. Then this report leaks out, saying that their real concern is actually corruption. To me, this was literally an attempt to hide from the American people what's really happening with our tax money. By the way, our tax money that we're borrowing from China. That's right. Uh, Ukraine, the Ukraine issue is one of the most terrifying issues and everyone's So what? what it. is the answer? Should we give them more money? Should we give them more money with more accountability? Should we stop funding them? We should demand a peace treaty in that country. 
No one can can say that they care about Ukraine and demand that war continue there. You don't care about someone or their country if you're demanding their country be be ground down to a stump. That's the worst thing to wish on anyone. Anybody that cares about Ukraine should say there needs to be peace. This needs to end immediately. There needs to be a path. There needs to be a goal. The White House never says that. The Senate never says that. And hardly anyone in in the House ever says it. That's terrifying. So if a peace means that Russia gets to keep parts of Ukraine that it has taken over, is that okay with you? My argument is this, is Ukraine is not the 51st state. Ukraine is not a NATO member nation. Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries on earth. And Ukraine is the country where Joe Biden and his family took in millions and millions of dollars. That is a very, all of those things should be alarm bells in everyone's head. We have so many problems here at home in America that regular Americans that work hard and pay their taxes and pay for all this but garbage But let me just place out for you right now. Under President Trump, first of all, I don't think it would ever happen. So we'll, that's a gimme. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it did. And Trump's not in office anymore. I, my concern right now, and I don't disagree with your analysis of, of the state of, of Ukraine's government and how it handles money prior to this war and currently clearly now because the, the Biden administration admits it. But if I'm China and I look at the fecklessness of how this has happened, if I'm the Biden administration, I say, okay, guys, cut a deal with Putin, give them all the areas, the Donbass, everywhere else, they can keep it. Mm. If I'm Xi Jinping, I go, oh man, that was so weak. Let's go get Taiwan. That's the argument I keep hearing and I have one back. So if I'm China, the best thing I can watch the United States do is leave its border wide open, get invaded by millions of people from over 160 countries all over the world, pour out all of its ammunition weapons stores to some country that's in a war that that really shouldn't be happening in the first place, spend billions and billions and billions of dollars and say whatever it takes for as long as it takes committed to this war over in Ukraine. If I'm China, I'm going to sit back laughing and watching and waiting while the United States weakens ourselves economically, weakens ourselves with filled with people we don't even know or recognize and know where they're from and watch our weapons stores get depleted trying to fight Russia and Ukraine and then pay for it to be rebuilt. If I'm China, I'm going to wait the United States out and then take Taiwan when the United States is too weak and feckless to be able to protect Taiwan. Yeah. Last question for you. You got a new book coming out. Yes. What do you want to, what do you want people to know about you that they might not know? Um, this book is called MTG. How'd you come up with it? Well, it was, <laughs> right. I'm kidding, but I know, but what, what is it that are you, are, do you want people to know something about you that they might not? I mean, I love when I wrote a book, I was like, I don't think people know you may not want to read it, but I, I, mm-hmm. the impression that you get is hopefully not what I think is, is the whole me. What do you want people to know about the book? It, they're going to learn who I am. These are my personal stories, but I'm also telling many stories that they've seen in the news, but they're going to hear my yeah, side right, of the yeah. story. They're going to hear where I was on January 6th and what happened in the House chamber and who I was with. They're going to find out uh, how I feel about the COVID shutdowns and why it was so personal to me. They're, they're going to find out uh, when Freedom Caucus kicked me out. I tell that story. I have many stories to tell. I'm even going to talk about Jewish space lasers in the book. So I think it's fair. And I think okay. it's a book people wow, are going to want to read. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. When does it come out? And how do you get it? It's going to come out the week of uh, Thanksgiving, Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So it'll be a fun read over the I was going to say, that's in writing time for Black Friday. <laughs> yes. Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene, thank you for an amazing conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sean. All right, I enjoyed that conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Nancy Mace. Uh, Nancy Mace, as I said, represents the 1st Congressional District of South Carolina. She is somebody who 
goes everywhere. You see her on like every network. I wanted to know why. Also, she's the first woman to ever attend the Citadel. What was that like for her? I'll ask her. Because uh, her father went highly decorated Citadel student. And you're thinking, you're going to tell your dad that you're going to be the guy that's going to break history and be the woman that you is going to upend this. Also, she had gone through some pretty personal, uh, emotional and traumatic events, which I thought to then turn around and go to the Citadel, all the guys, and be the first woman ever. Uh, amazing. So, uh, and why did she vote against McCarthy? Let's hear what she has to say. All right, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, you are the woman of the hour. Good to see you. Good to see you too, as always, Sean. You know, when we set this it's up- interesting, It's an interesting time. It is it, an right interesting now? time. You know, we had talked about, uh, I really wanted to get you on the show because you've got such a great story. Uh, and I mm -hmm. want people to, to I want to talk about who you are as a person and what motivates you and all that kind of stuff. But obviously the, <laughs> the moment uh, requires uh, some, uh, some to, we start with some things. So I, it was funny. I was sitting, uh, we were doing the show uh, when the mm -hmm. vote for speaker goes off and they start reading the names. And, and there were obvious ones, Tim Burchett, Bob Good. Mm -hmm. And then someone says to me, Nancy Mace voted no. And I was like, no, 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 you've got that wrong. Like, there's no way. That's not. And, and they literally were like, I'll show you the vote. And I was like, okay, you, you, you're reading the vote wrong. But I was like, there's no way. What? So walk us through, like, what was the, the reason that you, and, uh, that, that you jumped into that group? Yeah, no, we were the wild card. And when I made that vote, you could hear a very loud, audible gasp in the chamber. Somebody dropped an F-bomb on me. And that was the point where I said, you know what, I'm going to walk out of this room right now. Um, if, you know, for me, this wasn't about right versus left or ideology. This is about telling the truth and keeping your promises and keeping your word. And one of the things that we promised to do, the speaker, former speaker promised, was that we would have a budget. We would have 12 separate appropriate and spending bills. We put the power of spending back into the people's hands rather than a very small select few most powerful people in both chambers, the four most powerful people. And when that didn't happen and you couple that with other promises that were made, I work on a lot of different legislation and policies. Like don't make promises you can't keep because consensus building isn't telling one thing to conservatives, another to moderates, and then Democrats something else. Consensus is not promising everything to everyone all the time because that's just a lie. And we're, we've been put ourselves in this situation. We're at $33 trillion in debt. We have a $2 trillion deficit every year. And that horrible debt ceiling plan is going to get us to $50 trillion over the next 10 years or more if we keep doing what we're doing. And we just, we just can't do that anymore. And I remember... 2008, you know, the, the, the market was crashing, the real estate market was crashing, and I was starting my own company. And I was a young mom, and I could not afford health insurance. And COBRA at the time was $1,500 a yeah. month for a family of four. And I, and I had no idea about politics or that I would ever be in office one day. And I remember watching all the speaker fights all the time, all of the spending, all of the lies to the American people, doing the continuing resolutions, doing the backroom deals, not keeping promises. And it would just it would just make me so angry and so pissed off. And I didn't like it. And, you know, Congress just thinks that because they have they have checks that they have money and they, they, they're writing checks they cannot keep. It has to stop. And we have to have people who are willing to say no more. And that's what that's what this was about. At the end of the day, it was doing right by the people and not by the establishment in D.C. Like, I, I'm done. with. OK, that. And, and I, I think 
most of what you said, actually almost everything that you said, most people would agree with. Let's, but, but what I want to get to is let's just, let me back it up for a second. When you cast that vote, had you made up your mind or was this something that you, you know, uh, in the, in the days before kind of like what, what led up to it? Cause I think that's what was fascinating about it is that, like I said, I, mm-hmm. everybody, the five or six, seven people, um, you yeah. know, everybody knew. Were you, was this something that, that you woke up that day and said, I'm just sick of it? Or was it something that evolved over those, maybe the 48 or something? It evolved over time. And I was one of the, I voted for Kevin every single time in January. I said only Kevin in, in the speaker's vote originally. And I trusted his word. Right. I trusted that the plan that he had. And of course, none of that plan came to fruition. Zero of it came to fruition because he promised too many people too many things and then lied about it. You can't, he didn't keep his word. And all we have is our vote, our, our vote, our voice, and our word. And it didn't help that I was getting threatened by other members that they were going to withhold fundraising for me, um, including the former speaker. There, there were there were threats left and right being thrown around. I didn't like that. I don't feel like that is the ethical way to operate. All I have is my voice. So I, I and I, I get that, voice. but that's all I have is my word. And, and I get that. That's what I want to get to, though, is that did these people know? Had you been saying, gosh, I'm not sure anymore about Kevin? Uh, like what leading up to that, and that's what I'm just trying to get to, is your, sure. is your state of mind. Was this something that you were asking yeah. people and saying, guys, I, I'm having reservations? Or was it something that you had kind of made at the last moment? But w- how did, I, I, I'm really just trying to get into your decision-making process. Thanks. Yeah, things went downhill about three weeks ago when I went to a member of staff at the speaker's office and I said, hey, we, you know, we're facing a shutdown, facing the end of the year none of the things that i had worked on had been moving at the time and because i because i had the nerve to ask about those things that staffer put their hands on me on the chamber got very combative and threatened me over defense appropriations because i had some things in the appropriations bill for defense and military I sit on the house armed services and from that moment on things just went downhill from there and i just said you know what i'm sick of this you know, threatening people, being combative, just because I'm trying to do my job, um, to me was is is ridiculous and is not the way that we should operate. There are not a lot of women in our conference. I happen to be a very strong woman and vocal. I don't talk to the party line. I do not fall in line. I want to do what's right for America. And sometimes that means going against the party. When Republicans do something I agree with, I'll support them. And when when they don't, I call them out. And that comes with consequences, Sean. And, and so I listened to that press conference that McCarthy had afterwards. He was asked specifically yeah. about you. He said that you were on The View uh, when he heard some of the comments that you were making about him. He called your mm-hmm. office and talked to your chief of staff and your chief of staffs told him, hey, I've told Congresswoman Mace that you've upheld everything. Is that is that true? Is that not true? I didn't. I didn't hear the conversation. I don't know what what words were exchanged on the phone call. My chief, of course, told me um, that he had called. But my first question was, why is the former speaker calling my staff and not me directly? I mean, I was very public about my frustration and why. And and of course, everything that he and I, that the former speaker and I talked about, negotiated. I was very public about, and you know, we're 10 months into the year and, and zero can happen. So like, I'm not the one that kick, got kicked out of my position for not telling the truth and for not keeping my word. And I was very public. I wanted people to know when I made those deals, what the deals were, what the timelines were, what that looked like, because 
again, I trust, I trust very few people in politics. Like, it, you know, it's, um, Smart. it's a very low experience. <laughs> it's hard. As you know, Sean, you can't trust anybody and you right. certainly can't trust the establishment in DC. And so now people are trying to kick me off my committees, take away my gavel on oversight. Meanwhile, I've done an excellent job on the impeachment inquiry. I do an excellent job in the investigations, you know, all those things. I'm a strong voice for women and for that movement. And you want to take all that away because you're pissed about one vote that I voted over principle and over conscience. And I'm asking people to help me at nancymace.org and tell Washington how you really feel. We're done with this. You know, it's funny. You talk about the establishment in D.C. How's it going over in Mm -hmm. South Carolina? Well, I, I got home late last night and everyone that I've seen so far today and, I, and I've been out taking meetings have been saying thank you. Okay. And they recognize that the job is not easy. And I'm, I'm from a purple district. We march to the beat of our own drum. I have more independent voters than I have Republicans and barely have more Republicans than I have Democrats. Last year, I was a D plus 10 last summer after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And and I gotten a lot of high fives, a lot of handshakes, a lot of thank yous from independent minded people that don't want me to go along just because I'm getting threatened. They want to know that I'm going to be there for the people and not for Washington. So, so how much do you think is Kevin McCarthy's fault about how, I mean, the, the questions that you raised about how the process works. I mean, what I'm trying to figure out is can the next person, we'll get to that in a second, can the next person actually make real change or is this institutionally broken? Well, it's it's not going to be easy to make the change. But if we say, hey, we're going to follow the law, there's a law from 1974 that says we're required to have a budget, we're required to have 12 separate spending bills. I believe it could have been done with the right leadership. I'm talking to every person that's throwing their hat in the ring. I met with Jim Jordan yesterday. I literally ju- I had to cut off the phone call short, but I just talked with Kevin Hearn. I will talk with Steve Scalise also. It's not going to be easy, but we have to give it the God's honest try. We have to attempt to do that. Um, Whether we end up with another CR or not, we have to go through the 12 appropriations bills, put the power of spending back into the people's hands, not the most powerful. And next year, when January comes back around, we have to do all of this a lot sooner. The budget resolution in April, the spending bills in July, so that we put Schumer in the Senate between a rock and a hard place, that we force their hand to do this and follow the law. And that's good for everybody. But we can't have a speaker that makes promises to conservatives, makes promises to moderates, and says something else to Democrats. And here we had a guy that told conservatives, we are definitely impeaching Joe Biden. And then in the same day, two hours later, went over to moderates and told them, we're never going to impeach Joe Biden. I just want us to follow the evidence. I just want us to follow the truth, uh, tell the truth and keep our promises and not be all things to everyone all the time and do things that you know are physically impossible to do and not truthful. All right, well, that gets us to getting to 218. So that you just mentioned the three mm-hmm. top candidates for speaker so far, Steve Scalise, the, the majority leader right now, um, Kevin Hearn, mm-hmm. who's the chairman of the Republican Study Committee from Oklahoma, and Jim Jordan, the chairman mm-hmm. of the Judiciary Committee. What are you asking of them? What do you want them? I mean, what is, what is it going to take for you to give them your vote? Well, uh, and, and I'm not trying to make any side deals. And I, and I just told Kevin Hearn, I told Jim Jordan this yesterday, I want a speaker who's going to tell the truth. I want someone who can be trusted. Who will but they're going to say word. yes to that, right? They're going to say, they Congresswoman, yeah, I'm going to give you my word. And, and so, but but do you want, I know and then that- I want us to do the, the spending bills. We have yeah. to do that. That's got to be a part of it. And then the third thing is we can't take retribution out on the, on the eight- that decided to vote their principles, vote their values, vote their conscience, because you can't get to speaker if you're going to um, punish those 
who kept their word and who who voted on principle because that's just not we're going to be in a very tenuous situation if that happens we need to come together and unite i'm actually very excited about the speaker's race because this is going to give us an opportunity to unite behind someone and i like all three of them i feel very good about all three of them i've never had a situation with any of the three of them where I felt let down based on our conversation, based on a promise they made, based on anything that they've said they would do. I don't have that same reservation as I had before. And I, I really feel like with any of them that we will be in good hands. So of the eight, as I said at the outset, you were not the one. <laughs> if I had to pick, if you named seven of those members off, I probably could have guessed them. Uh, if someone told me there's an eighth, you would not have been high on that list. Has, has the result of this vote um, sort of... Um, Put you like, are you communicating more with a Matt Gates or a Bob Good or a Tim Burchett? Like, uh, in other words, has this forced you all together, or is it just you were by yourself, you cast your vote, and then you're still the independent person you were? I, I am still very much independent, but I've also had conversations with members I never talked to before. I mean, it's no secret that Matt Gates and I have gone at it over <laughs> the years. I mean, we didn't really ever talk, <laughs> and it just so happens we were on, uh, we had similar positions for similar reasons. Although mine are slightly different because I tend to be a little more independent as well. But you know, yesterday he and I did an interview together because we're on the same page here. I do believe in what he's fighting for is the truth, and fighting for things that are reasonable and responsible. It's not unreasonable to ask Congress to follow the law. Like we can't expect our fellow Americans to follow the law if Congress itself won't follow its own laws. And yeah. so I don't think that's an unreasonable thing at all. And he's not the bad guy here. And it's the establishment. It's, you know, the power structure. And you saw people walking off the floor in tears because we decentralized the most powerful people who thought that they had it all and controlled it all, well, they don't control it anymore. The people should control the process through their elected representatives. So you've you've posted some videos asking for people to give donations. You've mentioned your site. You talk about the establishment going after you, trying mm -hmm. to take away your power. They are. Who, who is that? Those are fellow members of Congress. So I just got a call from a reporter 20 minutes ago saying they're trying to take away my gavel. Well, who's they? That's what I want to understand. Is it because members of Congress, members that are that are angry uh, with me over my vote? They want to take a strong female voice out of the conference. They want to strip me of my committee assignments and they want to take away my gavel. And I say, you know what? I say, bring it on. And people can support me by going to nancymace.org. Are you going to give me a name? Give me one name. I, I'm not going to give names just yet. I'm going I'm to let the anger, we're going to let the dust settle. Yeah. And I and I think that, you know, some of this might clear up next week. But honest to God, you know, Sean, I'm the first woman to graduate from the Citadel, yeah. the Military College of South Carolina. I like a good fight. I and I'm get not to, afraid. Yeah. And I'm going to pivot to that. You know what? I, I, I'm going to pivot. I want to hear about because I, I do want to get to the personal side of this in a second. But yeah. Um, so for, you 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 mentioned your district, its swing. Um, McCarthy, mm -hmm. Axios published a whole list of all the money that uh, McCarthy and his super PAC had given. You were actually at the top of that list, $30,000 that his super PAC has given you. Tim Burchette was at twenty five. dollars Andy Biggs. Are, are you worried? You, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of people have come to help to maintain that district. Uh, as they have a lot of districts. I'm not singling you out by any means. But are you concerned about, I mean, McCarthy, for all of his, uh, you know, whether you like him or hate him, was a fundraising powerhouse. Are you concerned mm -hmm. about that the next person might not be able to have the same political uh, oomph that McCarthy had? 
Well, certainly with our slim majority, money is going to be an issue. And that's why, you know, we shouldn't have this power vacuum. We should have a deep bench of people that have the fundraising apparatus that if something, if someone goes down, we just bring in the next person. I do feel confident about the apparatus that, that Steve Scalise has and Jim Jordan have. They're both prolific fundraisers. I know less about Kevin Hearn, but I, after talking with him, I know that he's got the worth, work ethic and values and the ability and opportunity to have that same machine. And we have a lot of work to do. And I'll tell you, Sean, this has been one of the least productive sessions of Congress that we have had in years. And given that everything that is on the line with regards to next year, I mean, everything is on the line. We haven't done anything to help with inflation, to help with the, the immigration stem, the tide of the illegal immigrants coming across the border, women's issues. We can't even talk about women's issues in the conference because, you know, that's a that's a sacred cow. You're not allowed to. But I will tell you, abortion will be on the ballot next year. It is an issue we have to address and talk about. And so if we don't get to work right now, we are definitely going to have major problems next year. But those problems were created long before this vote for speaker. We already knew that we were looking at the end of a barrel with what has gone on this year. So you brought up um, in in one of your concerns about McCarthy, um, Mm. women's issues. What do you mean by women's issues? And then secondly, you talked about abortion. How do you think the conference should handle this? Well, every time we have a vote to protect life, we should have a vote to protect women. Like we need to show women that we care and we're compassionate and we're not going to demonize them for a decision that we don't agree with. I'm a victim of rape. I was raped at the age of 16. I dropped out of high school. I was I was torn. I was traumatized for a solid year. And I will tell you the trauma of rape lasts a lifetime. It is not something that women can get over because they carry a lot of shame. And I know firsthand that when we demonize women for making a decision we disagree with, we are losing them and we're losing them at a significantly high rate. And they are 51% of the electorate. We cannot afford to lose women. I agree. But that's, that's, yeah. yeah, And I, I I said, I mean, God, I I cannot imagine what you've gone through personally and and Mm -hmm. having then the fortitude come out and talk about it. God bless you for that. But I guess the question I have is how I, and and to your point, I I agree with you. We've got to make sure politically, Mm -hmm. but also I look at this more on principle. I think we should be doing the right thing. We should be protecting life. Uh, I'm a big supporter of adoption. I think that that should be on the table. But when you say we should do more, like for someone who's listening right now, what does do more mean in terms of well, what give me give us an example of the policies. That you so think- an example, I actually you mentioned adoption. I have adoption bill for women, so women don't have to choose abortion. We can get them the legal services, a financial assistance, a prenatal care, post uh, post maternity care. You know all those things. I have a bill that would do that. We need to help with the foster care system. What do we do with the children who are born who are unwanted? We know that we have a terrible foster care system. The cost of child care has gone up exponentially. So how do we how do we repeal regulations to reduce the cost of childcare. Birth control is another one. I can't even get a vote uh, like like birth control. I have a, a, a bill that would cut red tape at the FDA to get, get birth control approved faster for women. And we're talking about self-administered, safe, not controversial birth control. I have a bill on that. Um, I have a rape kit bill that Jim Jordan's judiciary passed out, um, I guess, a week or two ago unanimously that would help um, get the rape kits that are on shelves right now, over 100,000 nationally that have not been processed yet, but giving our, our state and local law enforcement the resources, encouragement, and incentives 
to process those rape kits, like all the things we can do to show women that we care. Well, at the same time, we're showing that we can also protect life. And so there has to be a balance there of protecting women and protecting life. And I don't think that's a lot to ask and it's not controversial or it shouldn't be. Um, you know, rape victims need a voice too. And I'm trying to be a strong voice for them in Congress. I, I want one more question on, on what's happening. And then I want to pivot to, to South Carolina and you. Mm-hmm. Um, by my count, when you guys come back on Wednesday uh, for what would be the first official vote, if we could actually settle this on Wednesday, we're down to 36 days since then till the next government shutdown. What do mm-hmm. you, do you think, what, what do you want to see happen in those 36 days? And do you think that's enough time? Well, we have to get the aid appropriations bills out. We have to rush the process. And I wish that we didn't hit pause and, re- and adjourn yeah. this week. We could have been doing, we could have been doing another impeachment inquiry this week, a hearing. We could have done appropriations bills and hearings this week. Like the committee work can still continue when you don't have a, a permanent speaker. You can still work on all those things. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and do that work. We got to get those aid spending bills out, get them onto Schumer's desk, and then have a plan B. And, and I think we can do that. We did four bills recently in a week, a span of a week or so. Let's get the other eight out over the next two weeks. And then work on, you know, how do we force Schumer's hand on the spending bills? How do we get it done? How do we avoid a CR? But the CR, I mean, that might be the only option on the table at the end of this thing. Hopefully it's not. But next year, when January comes around, we need to have a plan that we will follow and implement so we don't make the same mistakes and repeat the lies and the BS next year. Let's just do what we say we're going to do. And that's it. It's funny. I mean, everyone acts like September 30th comes up out of surprise. Like, you know, I I think back to like my high school years when it's like, really, the test is tomorrow. (laughs) Like it happens every year and everyone gets surprised. Um, And I think you're right. Like, I I think that, you know, for what it's worth and whoever the candidates for speakers should put a plan out on this. The the idea that that Mm -hmm. everyone's caught off guard by this is nuts. I was the committee spokesman for the budget committee on the House. Like none of this is, it's all prescribed to you point in the Budget Act of 1974. It is something that everybody is aware of. And I think we can get ahead of it. I also think, frankly, that we're not doing a good job. I mean, we talk in very vague terms. We're like, let's have a 1% cut, which is meaningless to anybody out there. There are programs and there are mm-hmm. inefficiencies in government where we should be jamming the Democrats and saying this program was established in you know 1922 and it's outlived its usefulness. Force Democrats to vote on wasteful spending and yeah. and, and outdated stuff. But one percent or one point six two five percent across it's, you can't, it's hard to understand, right? No, yeah, I don't one of the things like last year, Sean, last year we spent over a million dollars on a study injecting mice with alcohol to get them to like bend. That's good. That's a waste of alcohol. Do you agree? <laughs> well, I mean, at that price, I hope it was expensive tequila like Patron. I mean, like, was it, was it Patron? I don't, I don't know. We spent over uh, $2 million last year in, injecting beagle puppies, six month old beagle puppies with cocaine. We all know cocaine is a drug and it's bad. Why are we spending that kind of money? Killing we just need puppies. to get Hunter. You know what? I think if just not to get off topic, but I think if you got Hunter Biden mm-hmm. aware of this, that you might get a, somebody on board. Let, let me get yeah. back to I want to get just touch on something in South Carolina. And then I, I want to talk mm-hmm. about you. Um, you've got two candidates running for president from South Carolina, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, without just here's my take on this. South Carolina's primary, I think I, I don't think both of them will be in when it comes up. And I think if if one of the two, whoever remains, um, is still in then, I think if they don't mm-hmm. win it, then it's over. Because the way I look at this is politically speaking, if you go into your home state, 
Uh, now, obviously, uh, Governor Haley is out of office, but Tim Scott is still there and don't do well. It's a political embarrassment. So where do you think this goes for the two of them? Yeah, I actually think they both end up on the ballot in South Carolina, um, and, and that's obviously going to split the vote. They're both constituents of mine. I'm <laughs> friends with both of them. I love and respect both of them, and I think it's great to see South Carolina on the stage with both of those individuals. But I'll tell you, and you know this historically, Sean, speaking, if you minus 2012 with Newt Gingrich's win in South Carolina, he went, he lost the nomination that year. But minus that one election year historically or last several years and decades, if you win South Carolina, you will go on to win the nomination. That is historic. That's the precedent. The, the, that's the way that it's always been. So I believe that South Carolina will be the most important state. And I, it's like a winner take all. You win South Carolina, you're going to go on and win the rest of it. And so I think it's do or die when they get to our state. Yeah. And the, it's tough. The odds are stacked against them right now. But if they don't win, do you agree with me? I mean, my view is if you can't win or maybe come a close second, you're done, right? And I, I say this, I mean, my view in Iowa is that if DeSantis and or Pence don't do well, they're, they're out. Christie's all in in New Hampshire. He's out if he doesn't do that. I just think you can't, you can't claim that the people who know you the best, i.e. your governor of South Carolina, yeah. that if you don't 100%. do well, yeah. So, so yeah, that- 100%. Okay. Yeah. But, but oh, that's why I think it's actually interesting. My view is, is that one of the two mm -hmm. of them says, Hey, I'm not doing well enough. I don't want to get embarrassed. I'm getting out before I get, you know, the, this, the numbers will, but they will be what they will be going into South Carolina. But I just have a hard time believing yeah. both of them stay in, uh, heading into that. And Trump's numbers keep going up. I mean, yeah. like, you know, they just, they keep going up. And, you know, you sort of look at it, why would someone go with the cover band when we get them, they get Metallica for free, right? right? I mean, you know, so- Would you be comfortable, if he's the nominee again, are you comfortable with that? Well, it's up to the voters, it's not up to me. No, no, so no, but I'm just saying, I, I, let's just, no, 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 but that's what I'm asking. The voters pick Donald Trump, right? It will, if he is the nominee, mm -hmm. are you are you okay, or will you vote for the nominee? I, I will be supporting the nominee, I think we'll be in the fight of our life, and I, we have to unite. And right now he's up 10 points nationally over Joe Biden. Right. I mean, you know, so there, there's a path for winning the White House. I think we could win the White House, lose the House of Representatives and flip the Senate. I think that's a scenario, a realistic scenario next year. I, I, listen, I'm with you on this. The redistricting that's going to happen in Alabama and a couple mm -hmm. other states, New York. And even my district, maybe, too. I mean, like we're going to get there's a Supreme Court case with my district lines next week. I mean, but this is where I don't think people are. I, I, this is to me where the game really is. It's inside baseball. It's mm -hmm. these redistricting that's wiping out a majority and you're going in not with a four or five seat majority, but frankly, maybe even one seat down because of, of the redistricting. Yep. No, exactly. It's happening in New York also. And, and then it might happen in our state, which is why I operate. I'm a very much an independent voice and I've always operated that way. So no matter what the district looks like, you know, voters will understand She's a man of her word and, and she's going to she's going to fight for us and, and march to the beat of her own drum like we want her to. You know, you um, you are everywhere. You were on The View earlier this mm -hmm. week. You were on CNN mm -hmm. this week. What is your philosophy on, on, on doing that? I mean, do you just sort of say I'm going to take it to them? Because it's funny, when I worked on the Hill, we sort of put people in buckets. You had uh, mm -hmm. People who are workhorses, people who are constituent service people, people who really were great messengers. What is it that you want to? What is it that you want to be? And why do you do the media that you do? 
I want to be all of the above. In fact, we have KPIs and metrics in our office. Oh like we have certain standards, like you got to call people back within 24 hours. They've got to get an email back within 24 hours. Like I am very much, I try to run my office like I, like I run a business, right? And I'm a businesswoman and we have a lot of KPIs, but also I think it's really important to communicate. The only venues that I have to communicate with audiences in South Carolina are the media, mainstream media, social media, online, the internet, web, et cetera. And I'm not afraid to take tough questions. I want people to know where I stand and why I stand. It's why I go on all the networks because I want people to know and hear that message and know exactly where I am at all times. And if I've moved on an issue, you'll see me make that move. Um, and I just want people to know and hear from from, from me and the office and what we're doing and where we stand and why we voted the way that we voted on any any number of votes. I think it's really important to be a good communicator with the people that you represent. And that's one only one of many avenues that we use to communicate with our constituents. Is there any um, show or host that you won't go on? Because I, I, look, my view on this, and I've, I've said it publicly, I get, mm -hmm. I, I, I am a big believer in taking our message places, be conservative principles, yeah. take it and, and, and be, allow people to see the message. But there's also p people and shows that I don't think are willing to have um, a, a discussion that is fruitful or civil. And there are shows where I just go, I don't see the point in doing that. What What is your mm -hmm. standard for what you accept as a, as an I, FD? You know, I will talk, I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk to me. I haven't said quite said, hey, I'll never go on that show. I know that it took a while for us to do the get get onto the view and do that. There were some people that said, no, you cannot go on the view. I brought a spoon and a knife. <laughs> so I was like, we can sit here and eat ice cream together as girls, or you know, I can shank you. Like whatever what, I wasn't really sure how to how to do that, right? Because you just never know. And I was like, we're gonna do this because I don't believe in talking to an echo chamber. I believe that somebody like you, someone's got to hear that message. Yeah. And I want to be a voice of reason for the party. And I want to be a voice for women. I want women to know that there are smart, articulate, thoughtful, pro-women conservatives in our party. And, and, you know, So to me, it's sort of baffling that I'm a unicorn when I just feel like I'm just a normal suburban mom, fiscally conservative, socially sensible. Why, why am I the one for these normal, reasonable positions making headlines? It doesn't really make sense to me because I feel like I'm just being yeah. a normal, good fiscal conservative. So let's get back to you for a second. Um, you mentioned the horrible mm -hmm. tragedy. Uh, I don't even know if the, that's an appropriate, I mean, what, what you suffered um, at an early age. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to fight to become the first woman at the Citadel. Mm -hmm. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, I mean, to me, uh, and I'm not even going to try to find an analogy because I don't, I don't think it would, anything would be appropriate. But you, you go through this on a personal level. And mm -hmm. then you say, I'm going to be the first woman to s hang out with all these guys at the Citadel that's got quite the reputation mm -hmm. for tough, whatever. What what was the motivation for doing that? I mean, because you're breaking the mold, but you had come from a background of having suffered something that, uh, you know, to your point, you live with for the rest of your life. And I'm not sure I'd want to put yeah. myself in that situation. Yeah, you live with a lot of shame and a lot of 
guilt and a lot of judgment. It's very hard to overcome. It took me 25 years to talk about what I had gone through publicly. I just, I could not do it without tearing up or being, um, feeling all those emotions all over again. I'm a little bit older and wiser and a mom. And I felt it was really important for women to have those voices heard once I got elected. But the Citadel for me, my dad was a graduate of the Citadel. He's the most decorated graduate they've ever had in their history. And I knew for me, it was kind of like an F you to the world where I had gone through this horrific thing. I didn't really know it at the time. And I'm older and I look back on it. But for me, it was my chip on my shoulder to prove to myself, and it wasn't to go to be the first woman to do anything. It was, I'm going to go to this really tough place. I'm going to go to this place where I'm going to be challenged like I've never been challenged before. I'm going to face adversity and an obstacle unlike anything I'd ever faced in my life, and I wouldn't quit. And I also got to, I got to you know, show myself that I could be successful no matter if the odds were against me. And I learned to be a fighter then. I learned to have courage. I learned to have confidence. I learned to stick up for myself. I learned to deal with the consequences of doing my duty, what I felt was my duty and doing the right thing, no matter the consequences. And that experience trained me for the challenges, the obstacles, and certainly the adversity that I am facing today. It was not easy to take that boat two nights ago. It took a lot of courage and a lot of confidence to follow through with with my conscience and my principles and my values. And I am dealing with the consequences of that vote. Um, I will I will tell you, it's not been a very easy 24 hours, but um, but the Citadel really trained me and prepared me for making these tough decisions and doing the right thing, no matter who is watching. So you mentioned your dad. He's this, the, mm-hmm. this, you know, tough guy that's the most decorated. What does he think mm-hmm. at that time about saying, hey, my daughter's about to upend years of tradition and history? Well, daddy didn't, didn't know why I wasn't speaking at the well. <laughs> I got a text in the middle of, of voting and my, my father was asked mom and she doesn't text, but he, she asked me, daddy wants to know why you're not speaking. <laughs> and, and so I was like, I'm, I am watching. I think the, the, the debate that was going on was going on just fine without me. And um, so it's interesting to hear from them and he gets excited. He sometimes, you no, know, no, like but, other but people, he's like, what, I, what I'm asking, uh, what I'm yeah. sorry, what I, what I was trying to ask is, you tell him at some point, you know, 16, 17 or whatever, or, you know, I want to go oh, to the yeah. Citadel. And he says, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who is revered there. And yeah. he's like, oh my gosh, my daughter is now going to tip over the apple cart. And I'm, you know, is he, what, what is the response to, to 16 or 17 year old Nancy when, when you tell dad, hey, I want to follow in your footsteps and be the first woman to upend this? Oh, he did. He definitely did not want me to do it. He <laughs> thought that I wouldn't. He thought I, given my, my the fragile state that I was in, he didn't think I could make it. He thought I would quit 24 hours in and really encouraged me to rethink my decision. And I told my father all the reasons why I should go to the Citadel, why, why it would be a good environment for me to succeed. And I proved him wrong. And I loved that. It was great. But, but was he worried? And I'm not like, was he worried about like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm this like reputationally, I, I, I don't want to be the guy who, who uh, upsets, uh, upends all this tradition. Or was he more worried about you and how you would be treated? I think he was more worried about me and how I would be treated. Initially, his re- his rejection of the idea was because of tradition. And then he finally came around when I did start 
my first day saying, well, tradition has changed. We're going to go along with the times. <laughs> but when he, when he dropped me off at school on the very first day at the Citadel, he didn't give me a hug. He didn't tell me he loved me. He shook my hand and he said, Nancy, don't call home if you want to quit. Just put on your shoes and start walking. And so like I knew at that point I was on my own. He wasn't going to help. Uh, he was like, if you're going to do this, you have to do it on your own. You're not going to get any assistance from us. And so you walk, I mean, I, like I said, I can't imagine, I think anytime you walk into any environment where you're the, the outlier. So what, mm-hmm. what's it like for you for that first little while? I mean, how did the men, you know, young guys are not nice people sometimes. Oh, it was a it was really difficult experience. I think I finally cried on day five. I just broke down. It was a very emotional experience. But ironically, Sean, it wasn't necessarily the cadets. I mean, of course, there were some cadets who were mean and difficult to deal with. But I learned it was the women. So like we would be off campus or it'd be like wives or girlfriends or moms. The worst harassment I got was from women. It wasn't from the men. And I, I, I first learned that this women on women violence that we have in this country, it's actually a real thing. And we tear each other down. We don't want each other to be successful. And I saw that firsthand. It was wild to see that reaction from other women. Interesting. So interestingly, mm-hmm. you go through all of this. What was it? Most people go to the Citadel or to a military academy or to a maritime academy because they want to join the the military. What was your thought afterwards about what you wanted to do and why not get into the military at that point? I had only been there for three years. I graduated from school in three years. I didn't have the ROTC credits. And, and ironically, it was my father who said, it's a different army. Uh, you know, back then, this was a 99-ish. If only it were today, it's a far different military today than it was even then. And I had taught myself to code. I love technology. I love business. And about a third of the students from the Citadel when they graduate, only a third go into active duty service, another third go to graduate school, and then another third go into the private sector, which is what I did. I was a, a computer programmer for a couple of years before starting my own company. So I've always had this kind of independent spirit, um, sort of vibe and, you know, enjoyed working for myself in those years and building a company. And so as you, you know, you're a mom now, um, mm-hmm. and, and what is it, I mean, is there anything, do, do you sort of, is this something that comes up a lot with, with your kids that they say, well, Hey mom, she broke this glass ceiling. She was a trailblazer. What is it that, that you're, you want to instill in your kids going forward? My kids are teenagers. They're 14 and 16, Sean, and they don't care. <laughs> I mean, they don't care uh, about like the history there, but I do think they're still kind of young. My oldest, I think, is finally understanding why mommy does what she does. I had I had the kids up. I, they come up to D.C. every year, and, and they were here up in D.C. recently. And, and the kids both said they were on the floor and they're like, man, we want to do this one day. And I think they finally understand the the impact that I've had on history, the why I work so hard to help Americans who, who need it. And they're finally coming around. It's still going to take a few years, probably in their 20s. <laughs> we can have a wise conversation about it, but they're, but they're also learning. I use this as a lot of, as an opportunity to teach my kids about values and their values are, they're even more conservative than I am. But like, for example, after the UAP hearing that we had on oversight, that really got them excited. And they, they saw me trending on TikTok for the first time because they don't really care about what I do. But, but the, the UAP thing, they're really excited about. And when they had the first debate on Fox News, 
you know, all they wanted to see was a question from one of the hosts about UAPs. And it got asked that night, right? Yeah. And so it's been really fun to have these ideological debates with them, talk about why we have oversight hearings and all the things, but they get their news and information from TikTok, uh, which is also, if we want to talk to the kids and the future generation, we have to talk to them in all mediums. I, yeah, I will. That's one area where I'll tell you right now, I that's my big sticking point. I'm sorry. I, I, I believe that you know, we talk about taking principal stands. TikTok to me is a tool of the Chinese government. Uh, but that, but I, I have one more thing I want to get to before this, which is wh- what's next for you? Like you were in the South Carolina legislature here. You talk about the gals. Mm-hmm. Is, is is the house where you want to be? Do you see yourself? I know you ran for the Senate before governor. What, mm-hmm. what do you want to do next? I don't, I don't have any plans, Sean. I've never had a plan. There's never been a strategy. I don't do things because, hey, this is going to benefit me now or in the future. I love the house. It's the Wild West. I love serving South Carolina. I love delivering for the constituents I serve. And honest to God, I don't know what the future holds. And I'll be here for as long as the voters allow me to do it. All right. We um, end with a quick rapid fire. We want to get to know you a little better. Are you ready? Yes. All right. When you travel, do you arrive early or just in time? Early. How low can you let your cell phone battery go? Oh, uh, 10%. Oh, see that. I, I, if you go below 50, I get worried. Um, how many, how many? Under- <laughs> I, I have a charger. I have a charging case. It has all the different chargers. It's with me 24 seven. Okay. I don't that's, that's it. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I get nervous. Can, anyway, uh, if you, uh, how many unread emails do you currently have right now? 10,000. Okay, that's low. I'm at uh, 70-something thousand. Uh, I have 500 voicemails and 400-something texts unanswered. Well, I feel lucky now. Now I feel like, well, if I'm getting a return text, that tells you that you're on the high end of the list. Um, If you had had 48 Mm -hmm. hours to binge a show, what would it be? Oh, I want to watch 1923 next. I did Yellowstone in 1883. Is it, I think 1923 is the next series. All right, I'm still behind on, on Yellowstone. How clean do you keep your house? Very. What is your least favorite chore? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say sweeping. Oh, that's interesting. That's, just, that's a lot of work. Uh, see, I think I'll sweep all day long. I don't want to do laundry. Sweeping, I'll take it. I'll do. I'll trade you that sweeping. I don't want to do my kids' laundry. Okay. I stopped doing it. Like, smart. if you want clean clothes, go wash them yourself. <laughs> um, who is the coolest celebrity you've ever met? Dave Chappelle. If you could have a drink with anyone that you've never met before, living or dead, who would it be? Ooh, uh, Calvin Coolidge, probably. I think he would. He was like the accidental president and seemed like such a normal guy. Interesting. Okay. Biggest pet peeve. Oh, um, repeated questions from children who already got the answer the first time. <laughs> My children. I, mean, I knew where that was going. I knew where that was going. Uh, <laughs> when you get the same question five times in a row, I'm like, okay, yeah. we're done here. <laughs> you just are trying to wear me down. What's something Nancy uh-huh. Mace won't go cheap on? Oh, um, Nancy Mace is very cheap. I don't like to spend money. I, don't I like know, but neither money. do I. I'm um, frugal. But there are certain things that I've learned are worth the money, you know, uh, what what's something you just you go okay we're doing it we're gonna do it right i like to buy organic food okay that's hey especially where things are these days i uh last question last question for you um i did a reality tv stand i was on dancing with the stars if you were forced forced to be on a reality television show which one would Uh you choose it'd have to be a travel one i think i could win any travel race i like to travel and i'm good at it 
Wait, would you want to do like amazing race where you're doing it or will you actually have to go? I mean, like, uh, like I don't, I'm not even a big fan of amazing race, but I think that they, 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 they're actually on the go. So you want to be on the go? No, or do you want a race, to- like a race. Like I, I think I can go, I mean, I, I, some kind of a race, like, like amazing race. Like okay. I, you know, mm-hmm. all right. Nancy Mace, thank you for all your time. I know how busy you are this week. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, Sean. And it's nancymace.org for your, <laughs> for your listeners and viewers. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, I've enjoyed that, uh, both of those conversations. I hope you did too. As I mentioned later in the week, Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna is going to join us. Uh, we are really killing it with the women that are pretty hardcore, uh, that don't take, don't back down. And she is another one in that line. So I'm excited to talk to her. Later in the week, as I mentioned, Bill O'Reilly, Trump continues to talk about this case, this court case. This is a gag order. What does he do? What does he not do? Uh, It's amazing what Letitia James has done to this guy in terms of when you actually start to peel this case apart. We'll obviously cover this. And wow, guess what? A huge speaker fight. That's right. So thank you for subscribing. Thanks for watching us. I hope you had a good Columbus Day or uh, Indigenous Peoples Day if you're woke, which I doubt you're watching this if you are. Uh, We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for everyone who is subscribing. Please continue to go to Apple Podcasts. Hit that five-star review. Say something nice. Be in a good mood. Anyway, I'll see you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.